0: Welcome to the Enlighten Up Podcast, where I am going to take you into a deep exploration of what it means to exist in this current reality. We are going to raise your vibes, open your mind, expand your heart, and dive deep into the wondrous mysteries and possibilities of this lifetime. There's been a spiritual catalyst that has set in motion the awakening process of many across the globe to return to the knowingness of self and unite what has been separated. Together, we're gonna bring light into that darkness. We're gonna remember the joy of living, but most of all, we're gonna turn up the volume of our own eternal power and do the thing we're here to do. Welcome back to the Enlighten Up podcast. How's everyone doing tonight in the live chat? I hope you guys are ready for a fantastic show. I am really thrilled to be speaking about this topic, and I couldn't be happier that I have Beverly here with me, who is in the live chat doing the modding for me uh, lately under Noctua Rising. Beverly Lefebvre spent the first half of her life in a strict Baptist home where conformity was forced and women didn't have a voice. After dropping out of Bible college, she sought to find her place in the world and realized she didn't fit in to the new culture she found herself in. At 28 years old, after years of struggling with the religious stigma of being gay, she started a journey to transgender to male, through which she discovered how the unhealed wounds of childhood were causing her life to spiral and ultimately how to love herself again. Now she is telling her story and helping others understand more about transgenderism and how to heal from some of the traumas that she herself has struggled with. Beverly, welcome to the podcast and thank you so much for being brave enough to use your voice and share with us your own experiences and what i think is a really important topic
1: thank you thank you for letting me come on
0: oh my gosh well you know you recently joined alchemy a little over a month ago and it's been really great getting to know you and There is so much going on in the world right now, and everything is, of course, very divided. And I think this is a conversation that usually is very polarized. And I'm really excited that, you know, after listening to you, you really share from a place of neutrality. And it's really refreshing to be able to understand the, you know, the pros and the cons and the good side and the bad side of what you've experienced through this entire journey. How are you feeling right now?
1: Um, I'm excited. You know, there's not, like you said, there's not a lot of people talking about it and there really does need to be some conversation around it. It is something that is very polarized. It is in some areas very judged. And um, I think that some of that judgment and lack of understanding is kind of worsening the problem a little bit for people when, you know, people should be actually going out there and trying to understand and help these people. You know, some of them will go on and it, they'll be very successful in it. Um, but there will be some that, like me, didn't realize at the time that it wasn't the right decision to make, that it was other things underlying that hadn't been dealt with and healed, that um, ultimately we're creating this, you know, quick band-aid fix-all for their life. And, you know, obviously that doesn't pan out. And then there's a lot of disappointment and a lot of, confusion what do I do now and sometimes it's even harder to go backwards you know having to face people that you had to go through this process with initially and hey I want to be going you know called by this name and these pronouns and now you have to go back and be like whoops uh, that didn't work for me so we're going to go back <laughs> is that okay there's a lot of there's a lot of um, confusion and a lot of uh, misunderstanding around it I think and just getting some clarity on it and helping people get a handle on it, I think will help a lot of people in the future.
0: I agree. And, you know, listening to you, uh, share some of that with me earlier, uh, in the week, it really helped me understand some things that uh, I wasn't aware of. And also that, Obviously, you know, we all have our own individual journey and we're all coming here to experience certain things to get a deeper understanding of whatever it is our soul is, you know, guided towards for this particular lifetime. Why are you feeling so compelled now to talk about this and 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 come out like what's kind of shifted for you?
1: The realization that it would have been easier if people had actually had some difficult conversations with me instead of being so overly supportive, which was, it was very appreciated. And I feel like people kind of feel pressured to be overly supportive instead of having those difficult conversations. But, you know, if more than one person had pulled me aside and said, you know, maybe you should factor in that this happened in your life and maybe this is weighing in on your decision, I think that I would have taken a little bit more time, or even if more um, procedural steps had been taken in the process itself, you know, it would have given me a little more time to evaluate and figure those things out. And I may have still made the same decision. And looking back, I really don't regret it. Like you said, it, it's part of my journey. It's definitely something that I I valued from learning that, through that experience. Um, but it would have, I think kept a little bit of the difficulty out of the picture if I had had a little bit more information, a little bit more um, guidance and people kind of pointing me to the direction of those areas of my life that you know weren't healed um, and did uh, end up being a part of the reason that I did that. It would have helped me. And mm-hmm. so I, going forward, it's I've gotten to a place where I'm I'm honestly the most comfortable I've ever been with myself. And I just, I want to see that for other people because there's some just beautiful people out there that might, you know, end up doing this on the misconception that it's gonna fix everything in their life and it's not. And if I can help them avoid that or help, you know maybe family members or coworkers or whoever it may be understand, you know, the trans people around them or people that are considering it, then we can just eliminate a lot of this really unnecessary struggle and, um, they don't have to actually go through it themselves. They can learn from other people's experiences. And that wasn't something that I really saw a lot of when I was researching. There was a lot of information for and a lot of, oh, it was amazing. Everything's honky dory. My life is great. And there really wasn't as much um coming up in my searches where people were like, hey, I did this and it didn't fix it. And I went back and I'm happier now. Or you know, things like that. It was, it was kind of one-sided in, in the information. So I think it just needs to get out there a little bit more to help some other people
0: yeah i mean in order for any of us to know what is right for us we need to have all of the information you know and and some people will do things differently with that information than someone else and that's because the journey is very individual you know so i'm really proud of you for for doing this i think you're going to help a lot of people and i think it's important to shed light where i think some people are scared to shed light what is your greatest fear of doing this? Like, what what's your biggest fear?
1: Um, probably
0: biggest fear
1: would be judgment of people who just don't understand it and think that everybody has to be kind of the same little cookie cutter. And, um, you know, it, it's intimidating for some people, I would imagine, for somebody to be where I'm at now, having gone through the process and kind of just stopped. So I'm you know, I'm very androgynous at this point, and that can be really difficult for some people to wrap their heads around just because of a lot of old beliefs, old programming that they haven't really ever had to work through, maybe. Um, fortunately, having gone through it, I kind of had to work through some of that. But it's really hard sometimes for people to understand somebody that just doesn't fit in any of their boxes you know, and so that can be, you know, people kind of fear what they don't know. And so it's easy for people to start getting into judgment or uh, things like that with, with people who kind of don't conform.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, the boxes and the labels are the thing that's hurting us the most of needing to put a label on someone in order to understand them or, you know, having the right box to fit into. I think, you know, just as a, you know, from a human perspective, all of us, we need to learn how to just get rid of all of the labels, you know, and just really look at each person individually and um, not need those labels to define us and who we are or need the labels in order to feel like we're fitting in somewhere uh, or that where we belong. And I think that's one of the biggest things. Everyone just wants to know where they belong, where they fit in. And I think if we stop looking at things from such a labeling direction or perspective that that could help things, um, that could help lift some of the pressure to, you know, fit in. So why don't we start at the beginning? You know, you grew up in a very uh, religious home Mm -hmm. with very kind of strict values. Uh, when, When did you really, when did things really start to well, what was it like when you were growing up as a child and transit like going into your teenage years? What were the major uh, challenges for you that you were that were kind of leading up to this?
1: Um, there were very, very strict gender roles that were pretty much forced onto you as you know, as a child, you know, we weren't allowed to wear pants, wear shorts, you know, we couldn't have the girls couldn't have their hair cut short, super modesty-driven, almost to the point of fearing our own bodies um, or being shamed for them. Um, my my mom was a, a stay-at-home mom for most of my childhood. We were homeschooled. So, you know, she had kind of, now I see it differently. There's a, such a beauty to that for the people who want that for themselves. But it was more of a, that's what she was supposed to do. Um, so, you know, her life, looking at her as kind of my earliest example of of what a woman is, you know, she was, had four, you know, kids running around the house trying to wrangle them around and get them to sit in their desks and do their schoolwork and keep the house clean and cook the meals and do the grocery shopping and all that kind of stuff. And she really didn't have a life beyond us kids. And as a kid, I, I remember, you know, I thought my mom was put the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky. But I also looked at it like I really don't want to grow up and become that. You know, that doesn't look like fun to me. I want to go play. You know, we grew up on a farm. I wanted to go play with the cows. I wanted to go do chores with the boys. I wanted to go play with my brother's trucks and wear camo hats. And I just didn't fit in with that little box. And anytime, you know, you started breaking out from what the norm was, you'd kind of get, you know, more or less put back into your little box and told to sit and stay. And, you know, we had a very small world. We went to a very small church. We were in a little um, Mennonite community, which is very similar to the Amish. So it was a very sheltered little area. We were very isolated from everything else that was really going on out in the world. And so it, it created this, on one hand, it created a very, a very safe environment in a lot of ways. We had a lot of, um, you know, really good teachings that we did learn and things like that. And I don't want to make it sound like it was a horrible experience because it wasn't. But it was very um, kind of laid out for us. Of like, you're going to grow up and you're going to be a pastor's wife, and that's that. You know, you're going to have babies. You're going to, you know, teach a women's Bible study. That's going to be your life. That's what we were raised for. And it just was very confusing, I guess, to. Want to do things that didn't really fit in that box, and to kind of have to repress those things in a in a lot of ways. Also, to get into a lot of self judgment, and you know, oh, I'm not supposed to be like this. I'm not supposed to want to go play with trucks. I'm supposed to want to play with baby dolls, and kind of that early um, constriction on on your own self and your own identity and the ability the ability to be who you are. And the acceptance behind that. So as I, um, as I got a little bit older, you know, I, I had a little bit more freedom, you know, my, my mother was no longer making me her handmade dresses, so <laughs> I didn't have to worry about that. But um, you know, there were was, was some further issues. Um, at, at about 12 years old, there was um, sexual abuse that started happening on a regular basis, and that obviously shifted a lot of things. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty typical, I think for the, for people to start getting into a a generalization about a gender when they've had a bad experience with one, they kind of slap that label on everybody and say, Oh, I don't want anything to do with that. And so there was, there was a time period of working through some of that. And I was very repressed in what I was allowed to speak about. Um, The only time that I actually tried to tell anybody about this person, I tested it out on a I knew that they'd been drinking, which, you know, the way that we grew up drinking was horrible and awful. And, you know, so I tried to tell um, our pastor's wife that this person had been drinking and they played it off. And I basically, long story short, I ended up getting um, driven out to a bridge over a river. It was a maintenance bridge, actually. So it was off the main bridge and the vehicle was stopped. And I was basically more or less told you are never to speak of this. So it very much, very much affected me. Now it was never really said that it was a threat on my life, but we're parked on a bridge over a, you know quickly moving river. That's where my brain went with it. And so I felt very restricted on that. And so even more kind of forced suppression and, you know, not really knowing how to fit in in this world and just kind of being in this really weird limbo state. And um, fortunately, that stopped um a while later and i got a little bit more freedom but then i had a lot of alone time too um and i really used that alone time to just sit and think about things and i actually realized later that i was doing a form of walking meditation where i would put my headphones on and i would just kind of pace in my room and listen to music and i'd uh think about things and just let my brain go into deeper topics and stuff and uh, it got to a point um, when I was 17 that I was wanting to get, you know, I was wanting to get out on my own. The, the living situation at home wasn't fantastic. My stepmom really didn't like me. And um, I wanted to go into the Air Force. I wanted to be a fighter pilot. And my dad said, no, women are not to be going into the military and being fighter pilots. That's not your place in the world. So I said, OK, well, if I have to find a place in the world, then I'll go to Bible college like you want me to. And I'll study to be a teacher and uh, take that path. So I went to, uh, I moved to Tennessee, um, lived with my sister Melanie for a while, while I got a job and started saving up and did a semester in Bible college and, and traveled for that summer going around to different churches and helping with their vacation Bible schools and stuff like that. But it gave me this first opportunity to have funds and access to things that I never had access to. So on this, this Uh, summer trip that I, that I went on, it was a big eye-opener of, you know, for the first time I could actually, you know, buy a J-Lo CD or, you know, (laughs) do things that were kind of rebellious, I suppose, Um, but that I liked, that I was never really allowed to admit before that I actually liked. And it started this kind of chain reaction of realizing I don't want to stay in this environment I don't feel like it's it's healthy for me, and I decided to to drop out of Bible college. And then that's kind of when things really started taking off. Um, that's around the time I realized that. I, well, I shouldn't say I realized. I finally admitted to myself that I was gay because I knew it long before then. I just I could not mentally process even my own judgment on that, much less other people's judgment, et cetera. But that's when that really started to take off. Is getting out of that situation and having some freedoms to really kind of explore me, who am I, what do I want? What do I like? And kind of the world was my oyster at that point. I'm like, you know, it's like going to a buffet. I could try a little of this and a little of that. Um, But really once, once I started accepting the fact that I was gay, that's when it really started hitting home big time with the Um, the idea of transitioning coming in because of the programming that I had grown up with of, you know, kind of went one man, one woman, one lifetime mentality. I had a really hard time accepting the fact that there was any other way than that. And so I started thinking that because I'm a woman that likes a woman, I have to become a man uh, in order for that to be acceptable. So that's when it first started coming in.
0: Okay. Um, let me pause you right there. This is, like I mean, this is very, um, even emotional for me to hear the full story and, uh, like just the difficulty and the repression that you were under, uh, especially when you spoke about being on that bridge. Uh, there were definitely like tears in my eyes for that, you know, for you, for that girl who's just standing there and wanting to find protection and wanting to stop the trauma. And do you so like as you're you know, it's interesting how much our the rigid belief systems can imprison us into only one option or believing that there's only one way. So you're you know, you just realizing that you can't be a woman and, and be with another woman. You felt that the only way for you to live in this world was to become a man. (sighs) That's heavy. (laughs) It
1: is, you know, and it was, I was thinking back to um, my, my first job that I had, I was a cashier at at Chick-fil-A and there was um, a lesbian couple that had come in one time and were waiting to order their food and they were holding their hands. And I looked at them and my, my judgment was so heavy on them that I literally started feeling nauseous, just looking at them holding hands. So So then they they
0: triggered, they triggered all of your, like father's programming and and everything that he had like forced upon you, like in those belief systems and Mm -hmm. wow, all the shame just got Mm -hmm. activated. Okay. And then
1: suddenly being on the other side and becoming that not only do I have all of that awareness of other people's judgment who i'd grown up around and you know that was kind of my world up to that point then also having to face that judgment that i had placed on those people and realizing i now have to work through this and i now have to accept the fact that my judgment on them was wrong and i should never have placed that judgment on them but that same kind of nauseous sick, sick to my stomach feeling kind of started be direct, being directed back to myself at that point of I was triggering myself. (laughs) You know, how do I handle this? How do I, you know, it took a long time. I mean, it was probably, it honestly was probably a couple of years before I didn't constantly think about what other people were thinking when they were looking at me. I did end up moving. So I was in Tennessee when I was in, in Bible college. And, um, I was having such a hard time with accepting the fact that I was gay that I I started getting into self-harm. Some of my coworkers had noticed um, and talked to my boss. My boss pulled me aside, gave me some time off to kind of take care of myself. And my mom contacted me and she's like, I think you need to move out here out West. She's like, "It's it's a lot more accepting out here. I think you'll do better. So in a very short amount of time, I packed up all my stuff, left some of it with my sister, sent some of it to my mom's address and then hopped on a plane and I was gone. I moved from Tennessee to Washington before I ever even told the rest of my family that I was gay. Once I got there, I still didn't even tell them. I still didn't have the courage to tell them. I ended up posting it on, I don't remember, MySpace, I think at the time and uh, just let word get out back to them because I, I didn't even know how to how to bring that up to them you know, without getting into conversations that I wasn't ready to have.
0: Wait, wait. So your mom, your mom though, knew when she said come to Washington. Yes. Okay. My mom, my mom is
1: gay. So she was, she was the best person in the family that could, could deal with that and help me work through it.
0: Oh, wow. Um, Oh my goodness. Oh, now just even thinking about the environment that she was living in with your father and, and, mm -hmm. oh my goodness. Okay. All right. So, Okay, before we, um, before we go, we get to Washington. I just wanted to say that, you know, just really going back to the bridge for a second, so people really understand when you were told to never speak about this again. I just hope everyone understands how important this moment is for Beverly to be sharing her story publicly. I would think that that's, you know, that's a huge thing to move through. I know you've been talking about this more openly to people and you've started a Telegram channel and everything, but this is huge. You're moving through some really big trauma and really starting to use one of the most powerful gifts you have, which is your voice and your experience and your story. So thank you very much for doing that. Um, okay. So you go to Washington, you move in with your mom. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Mm hmm. So from there, it was, um, you know, those first uh, I don't recall specifically the first maybe six months or a year. I was considering transgendering. Like I said, it felt like it was the only way to really make it make sense with the current programming that I had. And I had done a little bit of research on it and I really wasn't satisfied with you know, where they were at medically and all that. It just didn't seem like um, it, that medically, technology-wise and everything, that they were at a point where it was a good idea. It was one of those things of like, you know, when a when a first generation something comes out, you're like, well, let's wait until it's a few generations down the line and they work some bugs out. <laughs> it was kind of like that. And, um, you know, having been around some people for a while that were more accepting of it, I've kind of got to that point of like okay I think I can do this for a while but I still leaned very heavily into the masculine and and part of that was because of just never having that as an option you know that was always kind of more of my natural inclination you know I liked my high tops and my cowboy boots and you know those things would if I showed that I liked them too much they might get taken away from me because you know can't lean too far in that direction but, you know, I started actually. You know, one of the first things I did was I cut my hair off. I'd always had super long hair, and I'm like, I don't like this. Just whack it all off. And it was so exciting in that moment. It was the silliest little thing, but it just made me feel so good to finally just have it off and, you know, run my hands through my hair. It felt good. Um, you know, getting into just wearing what I was comfortable with, experimenting with all that. And the next, the next really several years, were a lot of just figuring out kind of who I thought I was, you know, I wasn't quite to who I was yet, but I was dabbling around with it. And I, I re- I related a lot to um, kids in, in high school, you know, when you have that phase of like, maybe you go through a goth phase or a punk phase or, you know, preppy or whatever you go through your little phases and stuff. And I never really had that option as a teenager. So my early twenties were a lot of that kind of energy of, what do I want to do? How do I want to look? How do I want to act? You know, what kind of music do I like? Simple things that most people by that time had already figured out. So I felt really behind the curve. You know, I'd be talking to people my age and I had nothing to relate to them on. You know, they're talking about their high school experiences and the sports teams they played on. And I'm just sitting here like, I always wanted to play basketball. That's cool that you got to, you know, and none of them could, of course, really relate to me, my, my growing or my upbringing was so unique, you know, I was homeschooled, but we got to go to some cool museums. And so I really felt very out of place. And it was really those first several years in my 20s were really just kind of finding myself and figuring out how to fit into the world. And a little bit more on, you know, processing some of those old programs and realizing I can, you know, leave some of that behind really getting towards my, my later 20s, around 27, 28, was I had just gotten to this point where I felt like everything was wrong with my life. You know, I was very depressed. And, and I wanna really point that out to people that I was very depressed in every area of my life at that point, and that I started really seriously considering this as an option again. And I think in some ways it felt like the one thing that I could control you know, it felt like, like, yeah, I could get a new job, but this is the one thing that I can do that I know I can make decent money at, you know, or, you know, all these things that I thought I couldn't change about myself or my life, you know, I felt like I could change myself. Obviously, at that point, not necessarily thinking about it in really healthy ways, but I was kind of on the right track of like, I can change me. And, um, I think that I projected a lot into the gender identity and a lot of it did come, come from that old, you know, um, the old gender roles of, you know, the man had all the authority. He was the one that got to go and work and, you know, be successful, have his career. Um, nobody really messed with, with them, you know, and on that other side of like the women that I had seen examples of usually were very disempowered and very, you know, subjectified and stuff, and so it felt safer. It felt more powerful to be a man, and especially after the sexual abuse, it was like that. Thinking of men don't hit on other men unless they're gay, and then you know that's cool. We can go paint our nails together or something. You know, that's fine. They're not intimidating to me, but but men don't hit on other men, and so in in some ways, and we talked about this in the pre chat, it felt safer to make myself more masculine. Because they left me alone more, you know, I wasn't interested, and um, it just felt safer. So I started leaning more and more in that direction, and it got to a point where, you know, at my job and stuff, people would come up to me and say, "Excuse me, sir, I have a question." And then I turn around, my voice was actually much higher pitched before before the testosterone. So the minute I would start talking, they're like, "Oh my goodness, I am so sorry," and then it just became this whole awkward thing, and it. The thinking was there of I'm already sitting here right up against this line. All I have to do is just step a foot across. Like I'm already right there. It's not that big of a a change to just step across. And um, I think that you know instead of going through the appropriate course of action, which would have been to talk to somebody about it and get some insight, um, my stubborn streak kicked in and no no I've got it figured out I know these things you know (laughs) and so I ended up just kind of getting to that point I told a couple people that I was thinking about it and there was some hesitation from some of them but the bulk of it was support and again I feel like that's kind of a thing that people have been pressured into doing is your default is supposed to be support and don't bring up you know the sensitive stuff you know give them the The, uh, what do they call that? The comfortable lies instead of the uncomfortable truths.
0: Why do you think that is?
1: I think people spend too much time worried about what other people think. You know, if, if it, you know, a good friend is going to tell you, you know, Nicole, that that color is not right for you. I'm sorry, honey. I know you love it, but it just, you know, a good friend is going to do that the friend that is trying to just worry about how you're going to perceive them is going to say oh it looks great and then let you go out in a shirt that looks absolutely awful for your complexion or something you know and it makes it worse for you the the kind thing to do is just say hey this is this is how it is or maybe you need to consider this um there was there was a lot of a lot of factors going on in in other areas as well, you know, in my job, I was working as a porklift driver. So I was around a lot of, a lot of men. I felt a little bit inferior in that, you know, we were lifting heavy stuff. I couldn't lift as much as them. So I wasn't working as fast as them. I felt pressured to kind of be able to compete. And, um, and then there were other elements to dating elements, which never should have been part of my decision, but People that I was interested in that weren't interested in me, and I thought that would increase my likelihood of getting with them. Terrible reason to even consider that as an option, but you know that's that's kind of where I was at, and um, very much in kind of a self sabotaging spiral in a lot of different areas of my life at that point. I had gotten into a heavy drinking habit, ended up being able to finally stop that, but it had gotten really close to you know detrimenting my job at at a few points, and. Um, I just kind of decided at at one point that m- my thinking was this was this was my actual thought. I would rather be dead than go the rest of my life being a woman that was that was where my head was at. I would rather be dead. This is miserable. I don't like it. I don't like how I feel. I don't like how other people interact with me. I would just rather be dead if that's my lot in life, then just get me off this rock. I'm done. And I think that there is that there is that factor there that really has to be handled delicately because it's a perception thing. You know, obviously I wouldn't have been better off dead just because I was a girl, but that was my perception at the time. And so dealing with people and trying to approach them and, and question these things, it is a delicate a delicate thing to bring up because sometimes it is that kind of that serious to them of a, a life or death thing. So I once I got to that point, I decided that, well, this is, this is how it has to be because that's where I'm at. And, uh, so I went to my doctor, got the referral to an endocrinologist. I think I had to wait less than three months to get in with that, that endocrinologist. And then after a 30, maybe 45 minute conversation with him, I walked out with a prescription in my hand. No, no going to therapy. I did look it up and it is actually the the prescription or the person the medical um doctor that's writing the prescription does have the ability to make that assessment for himself so I did look that up it's not like he was skipping procedures there but it would have been more beneficial to have had that procedure in place of no you you have to go talk to a therapist first you know
0: so okay Let's talk about that for a second, because that blows my mind. It blows my mind um, that it was that easy and that, let's just be honest, really flippant of um, a decision with the doctor to not take in any of your history of trauma that you experienced as a child, not to, you know, the level of depression you were under while you're making this decision uh the alcohol abuse like all of these things and more are so important for any doctor to recognize when making such an important decision about your your health
1: I think there's I think there's one major issue with the way that they're approaching the depression issue with transgender kids and I think or people is that they're assuming that the depression is coming from the gender dysphoria and not that the gender dysphoria is coming from the depression. Because really the depression, I look at the gender dysphoria as a form of self-loathing. You know, and it can be something that developed like, you know, in a sexual abuse situation where you just don't feel safe in your body. Maybe you've separated mind and body. And when you look at your body in the mirror, you say that's the body of a victim. And I don't want to be a victim. Um so I think it gets, the label gets slapped on it that it's it's because of the gender dysphoria that you're depressed and not really going back to the root of the depression to begin with. And this, you know, there's an assumption there that shouldn't be made.
0: Yeah. And when does that ever happen in any other case other than this? You know what I'm saying? Like, when does the assessment go to something else as the root cause? Like, if we're looking at someone who's, you know, depressed or is experiencing bipolarism or uh, any any other kind of we all always has to look at your past history of like everything has to be looked at. So that there can be an understanding of where was the root cause? Like, it just seems to be an assumption that it must be one thing. And there's not a look at the individual person, which is an entire doctor's point. Like, that's what they're supposed to do is to look at each individual person. So they're not just like casting, like, you know, well what's the word I'm looking for? Why can't I find the word? But, you know, there's not one drug for every person just and there's not one drug for every health condition. Like there's so many things you have to take into consideration. But none of that's being done in this situation. And that really blows my mind.
1: There's there's a set of guidelines, I actually downloaded the the booklet last night, I haven't gotten a chance to go through it yet. But it's um, the World professional association for transgender health is the one who kind of sets the guidelines for it. The last publishing was in 2012. Um, They're on the seventh edition now. So it hasn't been updated since then. And their, their recommendation for. Um, for getting somebody onto hormone replacement therapy is either a, an option of going through a therapist, getting a referral letter saying, you know, we have evaluated that this person is gender dysphoric. And we do believe that this would be a course of option, uh, an, uh, an appropriate course of action for them. And then the doctor writes the prescription or the medical professional can make that determination and go off of informed consent for me. And for me, I shouldn't, he shouldn't have trusted me at my word. I'm depressed. Like, don't take my word for it. When I say I'm fine. I, you know, I know what I'm doing here. Don't take my word for it. <laughs> Assume I'm wrong.
0: Yeah. No. Don't guess. So, okay. I know when we spoke, um, previously that, you know, is this where the doctor asked you to choose? Like, or was that later in, um, was that later down the road? Oh, like, no, that was later down the road. Okay, okay. So we, will, okay, we yeah. won't get there yet. Yeah, okay. a different doctor. That okay, different psychiatrist. doctor. Okay. We'll get to him. <laughs> All right. Okay, so continue
1: continue with your story. So with, with that, um, just a side note, because we're right here on it. There are a couple things that he really should have brought up in that initial conversation. A, he asked me if I'd done my research, and I said yes. But I don't see the kind of research that he sees. And, you know, I don't really like reading. So... <laughs> my research, you know, it was, it was, you know, it wasn't that in depth. In, in depth. And um, so he just took my word for it. So there were things that he should have told me that he didn't. One of them is testosterone can actually cause more depression. That one should have been one that knowing that I was on an antidepressant really should have been brought up to me. Um, you know, the the side effects and stuff, he probably gave me a piece of paper, but you know, Who reads those pieces of paper? It's like, hanging on to receipts. Why do you do it? (laughs) Um, You know, uh, then things like the causing psychosis. Um, I'm like, you know, roid rage. In my mind, roid rage applied to men that were juicing up on additional testosterone to become a bodybuilder. Like, I didn't have any inclination that it would have any effect on me. Um, And then uh, what was the other thing? Oh, there was another thing. I'll, I'll figure it out. Um, Well, he also.
0: Okay, sorry. Continue. No, continue.
1: Oh, he also didn't actually show me or have one of the nurses show me how to actually do the actual the injection itself. I walked out with a prescription for the testosterone and the needles to inject it, without ever having done an intramuscular injection.
0: Oh my god!
1: He literally told me to go watch a YouTube video. He's like, "Oh, there's plenty of YouTube videos on there, you know, of doctors doing them." So nobody actually even showed me that.
0: So, (laughs) you know, anytime anyone's going to do any kind of medical procedure, which, you know, a needle is considered a medical procedure, right? It's injecting into your body you have to go over all of the risks with your patients so that they understand what they're consenting to. This is called informed consent. (laughs) I gave consent, but I wasn't informed. No, it was not informed. (laughs) This is, this is to me malpractice. I don't understand how he did
1: end up losing his license later, I found out. Oh,
0: okay. Okay. All right. So, (laughs) all right. So you didn't go I can't believe that they didn't even show you how to use the needle or how to do it on yourself.
1: Oh yeah, no. The great part was the first time I ever actually hit a nerve with the needle. That <gasps> woke me up. That was awful. Oh, awful.
0: oh, I just oh, I just got like <laughs> oh. oh my goodness. <laughs> it's exactly about how it felt. Oh. Um, okay, yeah, so no, it, you're you're 28 at this point, correct? Like this is yes. how old you, Okay, okay. Yes, 28. All right. So So, you walk out, you got the prescription continue.
1: So I, you know, started, started doing the injections at first, at first. um, I don't remember how the first few went. I know that I had a friend that was helping me occasionally. Um, It was always hard for me to do that. I've never been one of those that can just, you know, pull my hand back real quick and just stab, you know, I'll stop millimeters from my skin. And I kept having this problem. And then it, would give me anxiety. And so I had a friend that was helping me with it for a while. And then scheduling wise, that could be a little funky, just trying to get it done on the same day every week. But overall, I started feeling a little bit better about myself. You know, I felt like things were changing and, you know, that I was getting a lot of support. And so there was kind of a, a little bit of a high from that. And um, it was exciting. You know, it's not every day you you know, start growing new facial hairs or something like that, you know, it was interesting. It's like, oh, what's, what's the new adventure today. And so there was a period of time where it was, it was super exciting, you know, and, um, my mental health did improve a little bit, but it was also, as I started making other changes in my life, it kind of, it wasn't just that it was other changes as well that kind of just started helping me get back to a, a better mental place. But I did start enjoying being me a little bit more. I felt a little bit more comfortable being me.
0: What sort of things were you doing that were helping you get to a better um, place mentally? Um, Well, after I had that
1: little bout with the psychosis and had to get into counseling and I discovered that I could change my job, the job change fixed so many things because I was spending so much time at work. We had mandatory overtime almost every day of the week. And so I was just most of my life was spent in a place that I always felt like I was competing with everybody because everybody worked faster. I worked well. I did my job incredibly well. And I did exactly everything that I was supposed to do. But there were people, you know, cutting corners and, you know, leaving things left undone, but they set the standard based off of those people. So it's like, if you can't, you know, live up to this standard, you know, you might get fired. And so there's always this kind of pressure of like, oh my goodness, if I don't, yeah, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, but I didn't hit that goal today. Am I going to get fired because I'm slower than everybody else? So it was really kind of just a stressful environment. And then never knowing what time you were going to be able to go home was super stressful as well.
0: Um, Is is this when you were at the forklift, you were doing the, uh we got to tell people that story. You cannot not (laughs) tell people that story. Do I
1: actually have to tell him the thought
0: that I had? Yes. No, you do. I think it's really important.
1: (laughs) Okay. Okay. So, so I was having, I was having a lot of uh, stress related work issues and I had, at this point I had stopped drinking, but my, my new, my new coping mechanism was I had started smoking marijuana and I was, I was always good about not doing that kind of stuff at work because that that was just always one of those things I just knew, don't ever do that at work. But, you know, in my evenings, it was just kind of basically turn the brain off, you know, pretend everything's honky dory which is nice to be able to do, you know, in its appropriate place, you know, but it's not something you should be doing every day, going home and turning your brain off and getting high and you know, laying on the couch like a vegetable, eating, you know, potato chips, not super healthy. Um, But it, it was kind of the new, the new coping mechanism that had come in. And I was, I was at this job, I was very frustrated. They had moved some people around and basically even going into it, I had told them I don't want to work a bunch of overtime. Like I'll work some here and there, but this is why I left my previous job is because of too much mandatory overtime. And They're like, "Oh, it's not going to be an issue." Well, within six months, they um, they started a, a truck driving school because I was working at a at a uh, shipping center, and they had started a truck driving school for some of the forklift drivers and everybody else on my shift went to do this truck driving school. And so I was the only person that they could pull over onto the night shift and hold over if they needed additional help. So I ended up having longer hours. You know, there were times I was working 12, 16 hour days and never knowing from hour to hour, if I was going to be able to go home the next hour. So it's like, I don't know when I need to eat. I don't know when they need to take a break, you know, Oh, just unload one more trailer. And then you can, then you can get out of here. Oh no, we're busy. So unload one more trailer. So it was just this constant frustration with the with the job and with management not stepping in and helping me out, giving me you know some backup or anything like that. And I just started getting very angry about it all the time, was just always, just a ball of anger. And um, one day I was just especially angry, and I was driving driving down the dock, and there was this one particular coworker that was just kind of a jerk. And the thought went through my mind. If I hit him with my forklift, would I be able to hear his bones crunch or would the screams muffle it out? And I had that, oh my goodness, I cannot believe that just came out of me.
0: I need help. (laughs) So like when it crossed you, when that thought crossed your mind, it came in as if it was totally normal.
1: Oh yeah, I was just kind of blasé. I, you know, it was one of those. I was so angry, so consistently that I was in that that angry calm place. You know, in an argument where you don't want the person that's angry to suddenly get quiet.
0: <laughs>
1: and and this, where isn't, I was. this
0: isn't like you know, because you know, we have we all have moments where we're really frustrated and we're like, oh, I could just kill that person. You know, but you don't really mean it. You're not. But this came from a place of like it was serious.
1: This, this almost came from a place of curiosity about the, the goriness of hearing the bones crunch. Like it was just like, ah, you know, I was, I was, the thought was, I want to hear the bones crunch. I don't want to hear the I don't want the screams to muffle it out. Like
0: that's where my brain was at. Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. So yeah. Okay. Okay. So (laughs) that's not a healthy thought. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So you, in that moment, you were like, something's not right here. Exactly. Exactly. Okay.
1: And, you know, it was one of those things of that's not me. And if that's me, then I don't like this new kind of me and I need to take care of this because it, you know, it, and that's the fortunate thing I did, you know, catch myself immediately and it startled me. And um anyway, so I ended up scheduling an appointment with a shrink and uh, having a chat with him. And I, he basically gave me, like we talked about, he gave me two pieces of paper and he said, well, I'm not sure you might be this or you might be that. And they're, they're super close and they're kind of hard to diagnose. So here's the two pieces of you know, information on one on each one, take them home and read about them. And you know, when you come back for your next appointment, we'll discuss it and, and you, know, you basically pick which one sounds more like you. And one course of treatment is going to be medication and one course of treatment is going to be you know, behavioral therapy. And
0: oh, okay, let me just pause. But press the pause right there so that people understand. <laughs> so he literally, basically, punted the ball to you to mm-hmm. make your own medical decision. He basically told you to make his professional decision. That's a lot of freaking pressure to put on. Like, I mean, if that's not malpractice in one breath, I don't know what is. Like, that's that's like abhorrent to me, to be quite honest. Like, I, I don't know how anyone in in who's medically trained, who's this is their profession to even do that to someone, to put that kind of responsibility on your shoulders when you're already depressed and you're already having these horrible thoughts, you know, like. How does anyone in their, in their, you know, I can't even imagine being in my completely right mind where I'm completely mentally healthy, completely emotionally stable and having to medically diagnose myself, you know, it, it's crazy to me. It's crazy. (laughs) It is.
1: I, I ended up, um, I didn't, I've always been one of those people that I, I, feel like, um, you know, the, the professionals don't have all the answers and they do what they can, they do what they're trained to do, but I don't want to be, you know, medicated if there's any other option. That's just, we grew up very holistically and, um, you know, I've never been a a big one for prescription stuff if I can in any way avoid it. So I basically looked at the two and I said, you know what, if, if they're so similar and one, they're going to put me on a medication and the other then they're, that they're going to do counseling, then I'm just going to do the counseling. And I was very fortunate. I, I had a fantastic counselor and he basically just just laid it out for me, kind of the, the obvious stuff that i had been missing of like, you know, you're spending a lot of time at work. Have you thought about maybe changing your job because your work isn't making you happy and maybe your mental health is more important than the money that you make? I was like, oh, you know, that's a good point. It might be nice to actually enjoy my life, even if I have to, you know, give up, you know, some fun things that I get to do here and there. You know, I don't have time to do the fun things anyway. So um so I ended up going and working on a marijuana farm for a while. And that was actually really, it was exactly what I needed at that point. A, because it was just so mellow, (laughs) obviously. But it was it was great because I was actually getting my hands back in the soil and being around the bugs and the birds and seeing the sunrise. And we got rained on a few times and moved some birds nests that were in bad spots and put little cones around the, we had the little killdeers that, that made their nest in the, the gravel. And so we put little cones around it so nobody would hit them. And, you know, it was really cool. They had a, a dog that was on site, a guard dog. And so, you know, it just brought me back to a simpler kind of life a little bit and getting back to nature and appreciating that. So that helped tremendously. Um, then if we kind of the the next couple of years were really, you know, I ended up being on testosterone for a, a total of four years, but those are kind of the main highlights of that. In 2020, it kind of came into my My thoughts that I didn't really know what it was that I was putting into my body. And since I had gotten into a a bit of a healthier place with myself, I was finally able to really think about that. You know, before it was like, I don't want to know, you know, (laughs) don't tell me. This is what I need. And I'd finally gotten to that point where I could actually sit there and evaluate that and say, what is this? You know, why is it that I don't want to go on, you know, whatever medication that shrink would have put me on, but I'm willing to, you know, an intramuscular injection of something into my leg every week you know and I wasn't I've never really been able to nail down the specifics I know that the estrogen that they prescribe for male to female transgender people is made from sheep urine and that's a pill form and i'm like okay i can kind of see that you know there's the acids in your stomach if you're ingesting any type of like animal dna or something i'm sure the acids in your stomach are used to that from you know people eating meat and stuff but a a liquid going directly into your muscle you're bypassing you know all those stomach acids that may break that stuff down like how is that going to interact if there's animal products in this
0: and not to mention
1: where am i sitting on you know the the moral aspect of If animals, if they're harvesting this from animals, what's the condition of the treatment of the animals and what's their life and how do I feel about that morally? And I was having a really hard time with doing the injections and some things were just, it was getting really difficult. You know, I would hit that nerve that one time I, I'd punctured blood vessels a few times. Like, you know, I was not qualified to be doing this and I had a lot of anxiety around it. And there were times that it was literally just running back out of my leg, you know, from a seated position, you know, injecting into the top of my thigh, it would come back out of my leg and drip down my leg. And so it got to this point of feeling like maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, if I'm having this much trouble with it, is it what I'm supposed to be doing? And I got to uh, a point- So,
0: so, sorry, I I apologize. So, uh, you know, the first four years, you were there, you were never getting any of the um, liquid coming back out of your body. It was only at this point, as you started to really kind of pay attention to what was going in your body, you're in a healthier place, you know, that's when the liquid started coming or had it come out earlier too.
1: You know, I don't recall off the top of my head. I know definitely towards the end, I I was noticing that. Okay. Um, I've always had a very strong sense of if I put something into my body, and it's not for me, my body's going to kick it out. I, I have a very, I have a very healthy immune system. I have a very, it's one thing that I have had a sense of is, you know, if I eat food that is bad, it's going to come back out. It's, and as soon as it's out, I'll feel fine. If I eat something that is bad, I know almost instantaneously that it's going to make me sick. Or if it does make me sick later on and I didn't catch it originally, I can pinpoint exactly what thing it was that I ate in a whole meal that, that caused that. So I've always had that interesting sense there, but, um, it definitely did start happening towards the end. But I think it was a lot more of the realization that the struggle was not seeming like it was accomplishing what it was meant to. And it's, it just got to that point of like the pattern of the struggle made me stop and and start to actually question it of, It feels like something is hindering me from doing this, almost as if there's an intelligence, probably my higher self up there being like, hey, dummy, don't do that, you know. (laughs) Um, But I started getting that sense of, like, maybe I'm not supposed to be doing this to myself. And um, so I started actually thinking about it, and it was kind of difficult to think about in the beginning. You know, I didn't want to think about going back to how things had been. But. I got to the point that I was willing to say, I'll at least take a break from it and see how I do psychologically and everything. And I was really fortunate that when I when I stopped taking it, I I was uh, working for somebody. I had very flexible hours. wasn't working out in the public, and I really had the option to kind of go within and have a lot of time to go within and find myself and really ask myself a lot of questions. Even going back to, you know, if I did have to go back to being a girl, you know, what kind of girl would I be? Would I wear dresses? You know, it's not really my thing, but why is it not my thing? You know, what's my judgment around that? Why do I not think that I would want to wear a dress? And really sitting there and picking some of that stuff apart. And um, it finally just got to a point, I'm like, you know what? I don't think I'm gonna keep doing this. I think that the answer is, is I need to learn how to love myself because i've never loved myself i've never taken care of myself because i've never loved myself and maybe everything that has gone on externally that has frustrated me in my life that has made me feel depressed and miserable is all coming from my own dissatisfaction with me and the only person that can change that is me and nothing changing the external you know isn't going to change you know changing the the external of my body is not going to change the internal it's that concept of the grass is greener on the other side, but if, you know, if somebody is sitting there and looking at, at this yard and thinking, I want that yard, well, if you gave it to them and they don't know how to take care of a yard, it's gonna fall back into disarray because they don't know how to maintain it. They're better off just taking care of their own yard and learning how to do that and you know, do the best they can with what they have instead of sitting there and constantly be chasing you know, something else that they think is going to fix it or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, So, yeah, it really just ultimately came back to my relationship with myself and getting back to that realization of I don't love me. And then now that I'm aware of that, and now that I can admit that, now I can work forward in a positive direction and I can start finding the things that I love about myself and I can start working on my self-talk. I can start working through some of these old you know, programs and belief systems that I've allowed to, you know, penetrate my thinking for so long and just kind of get back to a really genuine who am I and what do I bring to the world?
0: You know, this is actually, this is really powerful, this part of the conversation, because I mean, the whole conversation is powerful, but this is really important because Every time I've looked from like the outside in on the the way everything's kind of being handled with the trans with transgenderism and and, and all that and and how the support is just overwhelming like you do you you be you like we've got your back like you do whatever you feel is right for you there doesn't seem to be that voice of reason that comes in that should be like okay well first let's address some of the emotional problems or the mental problems because this is a big decision when you go to you know change your hormones from a health perspective a lot of diseases start from hormonal imbalances a lot of health issues like the hormones are everything so when you start working with hormones that's a big deal it's you know that in itself is a big deal and I'm not, you know, this isn't to say that this isn't the right decision for some people, but in order to make that decision, you know, confidently and with all of the information that you've learned to be able to make that assessment for yourself, because this is a really big choice. This isn't just, you know, oh, I want to color my hair a different color or, oh, you know, um, even when we talk about women like putting in breast implants or something like that, you know which is still like, it's a surgery. That's a big deal. But this is really big and it can have consequences that are not changeable or there's consequences you have to live with for the rest of your life, whether you like it or you don't. Mm -hmm. And we're not addressing that part of it. Like we should be doing better as a community of just humans, you know, like really... I, I just it, it saddens me that we're so scared to address. And it's also like kind of goes into the, men, the into the stigmatism around mental health issues just in general, like where no one wants to uh, like associate themselves with a mental health problem. Like there seems to be a lot of shame around that. And so this just kind of takes it to a whole nother level because it's one thing to go on medication or to also identify as, you know, maybe being depressed or whatever, um, it might be, but then this, it's just, there are very severe consequences to these actions. You need to be absolutely certain.
1: Yeah. I mean, some of it's permanent, some of it, you know, some of it will revert back. Some of it won't, Mm -hmm. you know, um, for, I'm not as familiar with the, how all that works for the, the male to female, as far as what reverts, what doesn't. But I know for female to male, like I will always have facial hair now. That's I have to shave my face now. <laughs> it's just it's one of those things. Male pattern baldness is another one that if you have it in your family and you have that gene for it, once you've been on testosterone for a while, you can get you can still get that even if you stop taking it.
0: Really? Uh-huh. Like that won't that won't reverse itself <laughs> Nope
1: the the hair growth and everything, it won't reverse. Um, the changes to the vocal cords. Once the vocal cords have thickened and your voice has become deeper, it may shift a little bit. Like my voice is a little bit higher than it was on testosterone, but it's still lower than it was before. Um, so that, you know, that can stay the same. Um, yeah. I mean, there's,
0: and none of this is ever discussed. None of this is ever discussed with you before having these kind of treatments. None of this was ever discussed oh, with you.
1: Another big one Another big one that was not discussed and I feel like really should have been, and I think it wasn't because there's not a lot of information around it right now, is the effect on fertility. Because you can have long-term fertility issues, potentially even sterility from long-term, long, words, long-term hormone use. Um, I think more so on the male to female side, there's a, more of a likelihood of sterility, but on the you know, female to male side, you know there's there's definitely cases of people that have gotten pregnant after testosterone but there's really no studies that show what the long term effect is on fertility and so especially with the younger you know the younger people that are talking about this it's something that they should really be aware of that they could be making themselves potentially infertile especially the younger they start you know if they you know, goodness knows, get people started on hormones before they hit puberty naturally. They're essentially going to be sterile. You know, that'll just never develop. So it's, it's definitely something to be concerned about. And it, it's a, you know, that's something that if I had thought about beforehand or if somebody had made kind of a big deal about it to me, you know, maybe I would have just preventatively gone and put some of my eggs on ice, you know, just in case. You know didn't really plan on having kids anyway but you know at least there's the option but when you don't even get it when you don't even get that conversation you know you don't even know to go do that
0: you know this is such an important discussion because there are going to be people who make this decision and it is the best decision for them and they're happy with that transition But there are going to be people who are not. And the process has to be a lot better than this. This is extremely low bar process for such a very important procedure. Like this, this is so, okay, before we, there were some things that you experienced while you were transitioning with the hormones that you realized. I didn't realize I was going to have all these problems as well. Like I thought that everything was just going to be easier. What were some of those like with dating and and, and all of that?
1: Um, With dating, it was, you know, I think so often in society today, we get stuck on these like Hollywood movie type fantasies, you know, everything's going to be perfect. I'm going to be a stud muffin, you know, all this, you know, it's going to be heavenly and then the reality starts to hit you of oh now i actually have more to explain like i can't just go to a bar and hit on somebody i have a story that i have to tell with it because now you look like one thing but you are another you know at least up until you you know a certain point so there's that really big expectation reality difference in the dating scene it's like you think you know when you're when you're gay and you're fishing out of you know this this little pond you think okay if i could go fish out of the big ocean over there everything would be perfect and then you realize after you transition nope you actually are now fishing out of this tiny little pond right here because now you have to find somebody who understands you who's willing to deal with the discrepancies of you know appearance versus anatomy and it it becomes challenging and I don't think that there's a lot of realistic expectation put on that. And I think it's part of the reason you see so many um, people being aggressive about like transphobia, where now it's like, oh, if you don't want to date a trans woman, you're transphobic. You know, that's, that's up to them. That's fine. But that it's, that comes back to that um, feeling repressed for so long. There's those people that become more aggressive and assertive and try to force their perspective back on other people because they felt like they've been put into a box. So there's definitely that aspect there. Um, But then one of the other things that, and I believe I, well, I know I told you about this. One of the things that had always been a lifesaver for me when I was just overwhelmed, stressed, depressed, you know, we all hit that wall where we need to just have a good cry. And there was a specific time where I don't recall what the specific, what, what was going on exactly, but I needed to cry. I just needed that release. I needed to get that weight off my shoulders and I could not cry. And it was, it was physically painful to try. And then I got, you know, the anxiety started coming in of why can't I cry? And then it became worse. And it was just basically like bursting at the seams, feeling like I'm about to explode. And I think I'd use the analogy of it's like being in a burning building and you know where the emergency exit is supposed to be and you run there, but there's no door. There's a brick wall and suddenly you panic. Oh no, (laughs) this is where I was supposed to be able to go to get out. And now I can't get out. I'm in this burning building. What's going to happen now? And I think that I never had that problem before. So I think it had something to do directly with the testosterone. And it made me really want to bring that up today for the for the guys in the chat and whoever is going to hear this video that it can be f- very difficult to cry and i i think that that has something to do with the testosterone i don't know how exactly that would work but you know i think that it's um it's something everybody needs to do and i i feel like that's something that somebody at some point should look into and figure out what that connection is because it would i think give a lot more compassion around you know you know, there's that old mentality of boys shouldn't cry, don't cry. And then there's the new mentality of men should be more sensitive and they should let it all out. And then there's maybe they're caught in the middle of, I want to, but I can't, or I want to, but, I, you know, it's hard and really giving that support to them. And, and it's funny because I never thought in a million years that I would say it, but in all of this, I think I found a new compassion for men and in the the way that the world has Treated them, put stigmas around them, force them to be tough all the time, never be able to cry. Um, you know, they need to, they need some support because it's, they've had it rough, you know, being on the other side of it and seeing yeah. kind of how they interact with each other and kind of what mm-hmm. their view is.
0: This, this was, yeah. this was, um, this really hit me when you, when we talked about this um, earlier and I thought this was an incredible insight um, that you've been able to gain out of this entire experience, because this is why we really can't judge the whole journey, okay, that, that uh, transgenderism is because we don't understand, we'll we'll never truly understand what, what each soul is intended to learn or what the journey might be or uncover. And, This I think is a really valuable insight that you've been able to get from your experience because to me, I can't think of anything more terrifying to want to, 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 to know that I want to cry, but just feel like I can't like that sense of feeling trapped and feeling alone and not knowing what the hell is going on. And to feel like, especially this idea of feeling trapped in a burning building, like that's a, that's really traumatic. And so if some men are feeling this way when they're wanting to express themselves, but they can't, and we're just like, come on, just do it, just cry, you know, <laughs> like, right. they're, they're, you know, I think this is a really valuable insight for all of us, women included, to have more compassion towards that experience for men and what they're going through. Because I think there's just a lot of... And I think this is starting to change, but I think in general, we've been overly compassionate of wanting the men to really understand what we're going through as women, uh, whether it's, you know, our menstrual cycle or when we're pregnant or just when we just we don't need you to fix it. We just need you to listen or like whatever that might be. But we're not I don't feel like the same conversation is being had for men and us trying to understand what they're going through. So to me, I think this is incredible what you've learned and very valuable. And I agree with you. I I would be interested to know, is this directly related to the testosterone? Does it play a role in some degree? You know, like, what is it? Yeah.
1: And I think society has been very, has had a very big double standard for men and women. You know, women can get away with things that men never could, you know. Um, and vice versa, you know, it just depends on the category, but there hasn't been like a really good neutral space, you know, of keeping a consistent standard of, you know, if, uh, I, I can't think of a specific instance right now off the top of my head, but there's been that double standard of, you know, a girl can go kiss a girl and, and nobody gets really frazzled about that. But a guy kissing a guy in front of the same group of people might get some really dirty looks, you know, and there's that big, big double standard there on what they're judged for, what we're judged for, what we're judging them for and they're judging us for and all that. And another insight that I got was when I first started actually looking enough like a like a man and and my voice started dropping and stuff. I was walking up to a restaurant one day and I was going up the sidewalk and there was a girl walking the opposite direction and was getting ready to pass me. And I didn't think a thought of it, you know, Well, she went off of the sidewalk into the grass to walk further around me, like out of arm's reach. And at first I'm like, why would she do that? And then it occurred to me, she thinks I'm a man and she feels like to be safe, she needs to be out of arm's reach from me that she is moving off of the sidewalk to make room for me and then my heart just hurt i'm like is that is that what we all do like do we all walk around men is it obvious do they notice that like what is the effect of that because i know i would never hurt her but she doesn't know that and there was that part of me that just wanted to run back and be like no don't don't get off the sidewalk for me like i'm i'm no threat to you and and it really i don't know it really hit me hard that I had never noticed that. And maybe guys don't really notice that women do that because it's always been that way. And maybe women don't notice that they do it because they've always done it that way. But it really jumped out at me when it happened that this is something I never would have thought twice about if I hadn't had the perspective of being a woman for 28 years. And then suddenly, you know, everybody thinking of me as a man. And so I'm getting treated the same way that a man's going to get treated and suddenly seeing like the inconsistencies between the two of things that I'm now getting treated differently. You know, people are sharing different information with me. People are holding back different information from me, just the interactions. It's very interesting to see how the interactions change just in that, that one experience there.
0: Yeah. And I think obviously, um, you know these are just observations from your own experience and it doesn't mean that every woman is the same way as that woman or that you know every man is unable to cry but it definitely there's something there you know and I think you're making some valid points I I sometimes we you know when I'm walking along the street if there's a man like you know when I, I not so much now you know here's the thing too A lot of us are still carrying a lot of trauma and that trauma is dictating our own behavior and and what what we're projecting a lot of our beliefs, our fears onto our outer reality. And so when I was, you know, in my 20s and walking down the street, well, you know, one of those things was like, I also dressed a lot more provocatively than I would today. Uh, And so I would just naturally... You know grab more attention from men than uh, if i hadn't been but and and that's not to say that that's um, the only reason but i remember just getting really rigid like i i I would kind of tense up uh and just want to get past the man as fast as i could i don't think i ever moved away but i was just like just get past this situation so you don't have to think about someone looking at you anymore and at the same time i would dress in a way that would absolutely Pull that attention towards me. So it was, it was really mixed signals, um, you know, uh, from my end. But of course, I had a lot of trauma I had not even dived into yet. So there's a lot of different factors here playing in. But the biggest thing, when it comes down to it, is how important the journey of self healing and self love is. How essential that is to our own happiness and that as much as we'd like to think that the outside stuff can fix a lot of the problems in general, that's never the case. Mm
1: -hmm. You know, it
0: may, it may ease some things up. It may like cause some temporary relief and you know, all of that. But at the end of the day, trauma is trauma. And when it's time to come out, like there's no stopping it.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, and that's the thing too, you know, like you said, you know, and I completely agree with you. There are some people that are, that are going to do great with it, you know, in their journey. What I've seen is usually those are the people who are doing some of the healing or have done some of the healing, or at least are getting to that point And they have the same realization as I did, but they just, they don't have the same reasons for stopping as I did. You know, for me, I felt like I needed to stop. For other people, they'll keep going with it. And they'll just start doing the work separately, you know, and, and working the two together. And it'll be great for them. But absolutely, you know, it's, There are so many people, I feel like there's so many people who are needing to be more self-aware and kind of go back to that inner child and look at, you know, look at where some of this stuff is coming from. You know, I don't think that, I don't think that people really just get depressed for no reason. I just, I've never believed that ever, you know, even, even if it runs in the family, I'm like, "Eh, that might be because there's some other habits in that family or some other issues or something. But it just it's not I don't think that's the natural human condition that's so it's broken. you know there's something in there that needs to be gone back and needs to be fixed. and when you're when you're looking at changing your body so drastically, you know if that was if that was self harm, you know, everybody be on that bandwagon of you know, we've got to help these people, but because it isn't viewed as harmful, you know it's getting kind of swept under the rug of oh, it's okay, you know do your thing and and people aren't focusing as much on the mental health side of it. And again, just not wanting to, you know, create, you know, ripples or offend somebody or anything like that, but it's so important. You know, I think everybody has, everybody has stuff. They need to go back and heal.
0: They do. They do. And can you just really quickly, There was something that you said that we haven't touched on here that I think is important and it's just, it's part of the process and I think it's one of the realizations you had and I think anyone who's going to be making such a big decision should have all of the information so that they can make, you know, the best informed decision for them. When you were, you know, transitioning and taking the hormones, one of the things you noticed was that as much as you wanted to be like a man and become a man, you were still like thinking or feeling like a woman,
1: mm-hmm. can you talk very about very much? That? Very much so. Um, I noticed it a lot. Actually, once I started working on the farm, that that job really started opening up some things for me and getting back to um, more simple ways of life in which my brain was not as cluttered and I could actually really kind of think about things and evaluate. And um, I had a an interesting collage of coworkers that I worked with. There was one one man that was. Um, you know, constantly uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Objectifying women, very, very much so, very vocal about it. And it was all the other people on the crew were, were men. So he felt very free to talk about it. And it's it's interesting having heard it from the perspective of, you know, I've been a woman for 28 years and I never, you know, it was, it was basically locker room talk. and. Then there were a couple other guys, you know, there'd be like the one guy that was just like, oh, yeah, I agree, you know, but he he really didn't. And then another one that was like, oh, yeah, totally. And and I'd be sitting there and I'm like, do they really think like that? Like, that's really how he thinks. Like, you know, he was one of those that would like take pictures of women in skirts and stuff and like grocery stores and sneak pictures and send them to the coworkers. I'm like, you really do this? But but it started getting to um, it started getting to the point that I started noticing the ways in which I was different, and it, one of the big examples of that was I had a coworker who was who had showed up to work. Um, she had a sore throat. I kept thinking she was going to call in, and um, she was my employee. So you know, I I would have preferred her to stay home and get some rest, but she didn't speak very good English. And so I don't don't think she really felt like she could call in, but she kept showing up to work and I started getting a sore throat as well. So one day on my lunch, I was making myself a a cup of tea, had some local honey that I was going to put in it. Like this will be nice and soothing on the throat We're working outside. It's cold. And I made her a cup too. And I took it out there and I brought over one of the guys who spoke fluent Spanish. I'm like, hey, can you please give this to her and tell her what it is and everything? And it helps my throat. Hope it helps hers. I got flipped so much crap over that. Oh, you must like her. I'm like It's it's the nice human being thing to do. <laughs> you know, she has a sore throat. I have tea. I have a sore throat. It helps me. Maybe it helps her. I'm appreciative for the fact that she keeps coming into work sick. Yeah. And I just mm. I got sabotaged for that.
0: The and nurturing, work- the nurturing component of your energy of the feminine energy which is Mm -hmm. you know even just from an energetic point of view you know because we all have masculine and feminine energies within us all Mm -hmm. but in typically the feminine energy is much more nurturing you know the masculine energy tends to be more productive we 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 carry both we carry each of Mm -hmm. us carries both so like that just really kind of kicked in more for you
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and that that's the one thing that and even going into it, I very much evaluated what kind of man I wanted to be, and it actually ended up being kind of really through the whole process. I've really worked through the higher and lower aspects of, of both genders through this whole transition and detransition process, um, because I really sat down and I, I looked at these types of things, and I said, you know what? I don't want to be a man that not isn't isn't sensitive, you know? I want to be sensitive. I want to be in touch with my emotions. I want to be a gentleman. I want to be protective. You know, I, I went through and I kind of set myself goals for this is what I want to be, kind of that higher manifestation. And I had been kind of in the lower manifestation of like a wounded masculine energy before that. And then kind of coming through to the other side, it's been a whole other process of looking at the, the feminine aspects as well. And it's been, it's been very enlightening to actually kind of work through all of them and manifest and kind of have that experience of being in each different one at different times throughout my life. But ultimately, yes, there was, there was that underlying, mostly nurturing and like some intuitive energies and stuff that were very feminine that even as, you know, people thought I was a man and everything I was too much of a female for the men and I'm too masculine for the, the women. So like I, in either group, I, I always fit out a little bit because you, you know, you focus on what is different. And so in a group of men, if I'm showing, you know, a nurturing side and they're not super nurturing, you know, in, in their feminine side, then they notice that and they're kind of like, okay, you're an oddball. But if I go over and hang out with a bunch of girls and I'm in a super masculine protective side, i like, oh, you're kind of a little masculine there, you know? So it's that weird, didn't really fit into either. But I got to a point where I, I appreciate that because there's times when it's appropriate to be in one versus the other. And there are times when it's just useful. You know, if I have to take my cat to the vet and he's meowing his head off, I don't want to be in feminine energy because I'm going to be freaking out the whole time. Oh, you poor thing. I have to go into the masculine and say, "Okay, we're just going to go get this done." Shush. <laughs> so it's handy; it's very handy. But yes, it it was mm-hmm. very obvious throughout the whole thing that that the feminine was always still there under the surface, and it just became a point of saying, "You know what? I'm just going to be my unique little self. I'm gonna I'm gonna do me. I'm gonna be happy with me. I'm gonna learn to love me, and see what the world has to offer." Because what I was doing wasn't working.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, I think that's what everyone wants. And I think that's where everyone's coming from when it, for the most part, I think the majority of people are coming from that place when they are showing support for anyone who's wanting to transition and maybe feeling hesitant to bring up some of the harder questions and um, the harder truths. Uh, is that ultimately we just want people to be happy and to love themselves. But we also live in a society where a lot of people are unhealed and they haven't done their work regardless of what their journey has been. And so not a lot of people are familiar with um, how important that work really is in, um, you know, bringing that truth to the surface. So like with anything, as much as we'd like for the outside to fix the inside, that's not how it works. And I'm really grateful that you have found your voice. You have found the courage to, uh, speak your truth, share your story. Stories are so important for people to really understand like real experiences that are had and felt. And I, What I really love about this particular conversation is, like I said at the beginning, guys, this is a really neutral kind of conversation. It wasn't charged one way or the other. You know, there weren't like, maybe I was the most, you know, I think I may have been the most emotional out of all of this, you know, like in a sense of, you know, shock about the doctor. I think the most shocking thing for me is the process of what the doctors are not doing their due diligence on. You know, there seems to be a really low bar of what is happening there, and I don't like that at all. I, I think that's just completely negligent and 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 it's malpractice in my opinion. But it's always important that we don't that we don't ever get to a place in our beliefs where we're now dehumanizing someone and I don't think we ever want to be there as a society. And when we can have these very important conversations where we're having an open mind and we're allowing both sides of a truth to be shared, you know, the, the, the pros and the cons, the good and the bad, the light and the dark, you know, that is where we ultimately can all find our truth. And some of us are going to sit in different areas of that because we all have our own individual journey. So thank you. Thank you for, for sharing you know your story here with us having that courage what is next for you and i want to say this I, I, guys in the in the live chat um let me know what you what you thought but i personally think you're a fantastic speaker you like you're born for this like this is really what i think your calling is you're very well spoken you're very your delivery is very coherent it's steady and I mean, obviously, you're speaking from your own truth. So it's just in you. It's going to come through. It's your journey. No one's going to be more familiar with it than you are. But you haven't started. You barely said an um, you know, like this is truly, I think, your calling. So I hope you're going to turn this into something that I think you could do professionally, you know, to some degree.
1: Yeah, I do. I do want to continue to do more of it. Um, It is one of the things that has been a trend my whole life, even as, you know, a, you know, 14, 15 year old, when I would put my head headphones on and pace in my room and listen to music, I would, I would get up there and I'd be preaching at times too. Like I had things to say. I always had things to say. The message may have changed based on my thinking at the time, but you know, even even if I go to the grocery store, I'm talking in my car. I'm having a conversation. It, you know, I've played through this conversation about twenty times already. Um, I just, I'm always talking, and and you know, things just kind of start coming through. And you know, um, I'll be in a, in the middle of a conversation. I don't even know why I'm having this conversation with you know whoever I'm imagining it's with but I'll just get little downloads that'll come in and it'll be like, oh my goodness, this analogy is perfect for this. It explains it so well. So little things like that, I definitely plan on continuing to talk about because I, I get weird little analogies that pop into my head and people seem to like them. Um, but for the future, I do plan on, I do have a new YouTube channel that I just set up. I am going to do a couple more videos specifically regarding you know this topic. I, I don't want it to be... My main staple. It's something that I definitely have the ability to speak on, and so I want to. Um, but I don't want to limit myself to just speaking on that. Like I have lots of other things to to talk about, and um, it's actually one of the reasons that I had a hard time transitioning. Is suddenly my identity just became that one thing, and I'm like, but I have so many other things that, about me that are interesting. So same thing with the channel. Um, I do have my Telegram channel that I just set up. That's kind of my main stomping grounds right now. And then I did set up an email. So if anybody has questions, maybe they've got a family member that's thinking about transitioning or a partner, or they're thinking about it themselves, or even just wanting to know or share a story, um, anybody can email me and I'll be happy to help anybody out if they've got any questions or anything like that. For the future, um, I'm going to be sitting down and writing my book that I have been Thinking about since I was about 16 and had the title for since I was 16. But finally, just realized the only reason it made sense to write about my life was to write about the healing aspects of it. That was the final piece that I needed to finally say, there's a reason to write the book now. So that's going to be coming up in the future. Obviously, that'll be a big project. Um, I've got uh, intentions on eventually setting up a website and probably linking a lot of resources for transgender people. Um, that uh, association that deals with the standards uh, of care for transgender people, I will probably definitely make sure that that's a highlight. Um, But I'm not quite there yet, so I'm thinking I'm probably going to buy the domain name and just sit on it until I'm ready for that. But um, I think that's about it for for that. Um, On the 27th, I will be on Patricia's channel, on the Keystone channel, with Lena and Erica, and we're going to do a roundtable talking about transgenderism and some other LGBT topics. So that'll be, that'll be a fun one.
0: That's fantastic. Pretty pretty laid back, I think. Yeah, no, and I, I mean, you've got, you've got a lot that you're, you're looking to execute here and, and really kind of start up, and I'm excited for you, and you're absolutely right. You know, you are so much more than, you know, transgenderism and that label and you've got so much to offer. And there's the one thing that this entire world can relate to is learning how to love oneself. And I think all perspectives have value. And I think that understanding it from all different points of view is what enriches our ability to learn how to accept one one another, how to find compassion for one another, ourselves, have compassion for ourselves. So. I think you're well-primed to help a lot of people in a lot of different areas in life. So I'm really excited for you. And um, before you go, I'd love for you to just two things. One, can you please just share a message that you would like to deliver to someone who may be transitioning or um, is maybe transitioned, but having doubts about their uh, decision And then also when you're done that, what would you like to say to either friends or family of those who are also supporting or having a struggle, you know, with the situation?
1: I would say for anybody that's, that is transitioning, whether they're struggling with it or not, always go within and look, because even if it was a decision that you don't regret, um, just make sure you know where that decision came from because there might be stuff that's underlying and definitely if you're having problems in other areas of your life, you know, really go back and look at that. It's a healthy practice to get into to constantly just, you know, hitting the refresh button and making sure that you're, you're, you know, I look at healing as weeding, you know, you can't just weed the yard one day and think it's all done. You know, they come back, (laughs) they come back. So it's good habit to, just go back through, even if you think everything's everything's going great and that's fantastic. And I wish I wish everybody would have a fantastic you know journey with it if that's their choice. Um, you know, if they are kind of doubting it, just just sit with it. You know, the world is so busy, and we never really take the time to sit with ourselves. One of the one of the best things that I have discovered is, I'll go take a hot bath. I'll just take a hot bath, no music, no nothing, just relax for a moment and just sit with my thoughts and just give myself that opportunity for that quiet space. Because, you know, if the TV's on and the music's blasting and all that kind of stuff, you just can't hear, you know, your own insights, any guidance, whatever. Um, Just sit with it and figure it out. And there's no judgment around it. You know, don't judge yourself. Definitely don't judge yourself on it. You know, be compassionate with yourself as you would with a friend. Um. For family members and other people who might have a trans person in their life, I would say number one, be accepting of what their reality is. It may not be your reality, but that's fine. It's not gonna kill you to you know, use different pronouns. I know there's a lot of people that get off on that whole tirade about pronouns. It's not gonna kill anybody to use you know, the pronouns that are gender affirming for that individual. That's where they're at right now. And you, if you don't, You know, there's certain steps if you don't take, you're gonna lose the opportunity to work with that person in the future. You know, the people that were adamantly resistant to me, you know, my father being one of them, he never once called me by the name I had chosen. He never once called me male with male pronouns. In fact, it seemed like he actually went out of his way to answer the phone, hey girl, how are you doing? And it really ostracized my relationship with him because he wasn't, he was basically gaslighting me. You know, so you have to definitely accept the reality as their reality and just not judge that. And then you have the opportunity to work with them from there, you know, and evaluate them, get to talk, talk to them. You know, that's the biggest thing that I tell people is you don't have to sit there and and start asking about, well, what was your relationship like, you know, with your parents as a child or getting into deep stuff. You can just chat with them, you know. You can kind of lead a conversation in a direction without making it obvious or you know thinking that you have to educate them or that your way is right and their way is wrong you know just get to talking to them and as long as people are coming from a neutrality and and are doing their own work so that they can actually give decent advice to somebody else you know i think it there's no right way of doing it so it's just a matter of accept the reality keep the conversation going be supportive in healthy ways um you know and if If anybody's got questions, they can email me, be happy to help them out. I have actually, that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons that I started doing this is because so Mm -hmm. many people would stop me and be like, Oh my goodness, my friend has a kid that's going to transgender and she's freaking out. Can she call you? So that's kind of where it all started.
0: And the support is, I think the most important thing, you know, and can we offer support in a way that is not, you know, a projection of our own beliefs but to just hold space and also be okay asking the hard questions. It's okay to ask the hard questions and to pose, you know, some of those things, but in a way that still honors, you know, what you're going through. So it's, it's one of those things that we as a society just need to get better at and understanding that there are, you know, truths are very difficult in many ways. The truth is always really difficult to hear and, that goes both ways. You know, it goes both ways. So we have to learn to be more comfortable with the discomfort of very honest conversations and not let that discomfort derail us from having these conversations. So I applaud you. I wish you all the best in your journey. I know you're going to change lives and um, really help people So thank you so much for everyone who is uh, listening, watching. If you'd like to get in contact with Beverly, her contact details are below. You can join her Telegram channel, subscribe to her YouTube or email her. Thank you so much for uh, being here tonight. And I love you guys so much. Have a wonderful evening and I'll see you guys next week. Thanks again for joining me for another show on the Enlighten Up podcast. I love you guys so much for all of your continued support. So remember to raise your vibe, find your tribe and be open to the infinite possibilities held in the mysteries that surround us all. Thanks again for sharing the show with your family and friends. And if you're new to the show and you need to find out more information about me, please head on over to my website, NicoleFrolic.com, where you can join my newsletter. And please follow me on Instagram, Telegram, and YouTube. Keep your light bright and I'll see you next week.